So this morning, uh, I have the privilege of preaching, uh, not starting the values series, um, but I want to preach for us from one of the texts that uh, is probably one of my favorite texts in the Gospels, um, specifically in the Gospel of Mark. Um, and so uh, one of the reasons I wanted to do this is focus on uh, how our following of Jesus, if we claim to be true followers of Christ Jesus, how that actually uh, shapes how we make plans in this world. And is this not a time for plan making as we start a new year, setting new goals, maybe new initiatives, uh, new life plans? Uh, but as we make plans, we must do as James encourages us to, uh, us to in James chapter 4, which we have to hold plans loosely because James writes these words. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such town and spend a year and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this and do that. But nevertheless, we do make plans, don't we? Make plans to go out to dinner, make plans for goals that we have, to set, that we have set for ourselves, initiatives that we want to start. Uh, these are good things, but most plans and initiatives must be buffeted by our relationship with Christ Jesus. So in the, the main point that I want you to walk away with this morning as we look at Mark chapter 10 uh, is to see that Christ reorients our lives to rely on Him and be others-focused. Christ reorients our lives to rely on Him and be others-focused. Um, we are often beset by relying on ourselves and our selfish ways rather than living lives that are reoriented around Christ and others. And one of the clearest ways that this shows up is when we start a new year and we set our New Year's resolutions. Uh, I would wonder if we were to look at all of our resolutions and our New Year goals, our plans, to see if they would be more others and Christ-focused or if those plans are more self-focused. And what I want to do for you this morning is help you see from Mark chapter 10, starting in verse 32, of how two of the disciples and a blind man named Bartimaeus, or the son of Timaeus, oriented their lives around Christ. So if you have a Bible this morning, and I pray that you do, please open to Mark chapter 10 and starting in verse 32. I want to pray for us as we hear God's word and for the rest of our time this morning. Father God, I pray that you would be with us as we come to your word this morning in this new year. As we see this morning how people who had followed you so closely can often miss the mark. And people who have a true understanding of themselves and their desperate need desire to follow you in ways that honor and glorify you. God, help us today 
tomorrow, if you will, this year in 2021, God, help us orient our lives around Christ and His ways rather than ourselves and the ways of the world. God, I pray that as we hear Your Word, that it would take root in our heart. It would change us. It would transform us. Father God, we love you and we thank you for these things. In Christ's name, amen. All right, starting in Mark chapter 10, verse 35. I think we started on 32 up there. Yeah, you can go to 35. We'll start in 35. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us to sit one on your right and the other on your left in your glory. And Jesus said to them, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink that cup I drink? Or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? And they said to him, We are able. Jesus said to them, The cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But... To sit at my right hand or at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those whom it has been prepared. And when the ten heard it, they began to be indignant with James and John. And Jesus called them to to him and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. That whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be a slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to serve, but to not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. And they came to Jericho. And as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples, a great crowd, Bartimaeus and a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out to say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, Call him. And they called the blind man, saying to him, Take heart, get up, he's calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, What do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said, Rabbi, Let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, Go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight 
and followed him on the way. So, in this one-off sermon here, we're jumping into literally the last third of Mark's gospel. So a little bit of context will be helpful to understand what's going on in the gospel to sort of see how uh, amazing these, this text is. And maybe I, I pray in sharing this that you might see how, why it's so wonderful to me. But in these verses, from verse 35 to verse 52 of Mark chapter 10, uh, they're the last two sections or last two stories of Jesus' journey to Jerusalem in the gospel of Mark. So in the first third of Mark's gospel, chapter 1 to chapter 8, about halfway through chapter 8, uh, Mark is starting Jesus' ministry, telling about the beginnings of Jesus' ministry. Um, nothing really about his childhood. We, we don't read Mark during Advent season because Mark doesn't do anything with the genealogy and birth of Jesus. He gets right to the story in the beginning of Jesus's ministry. And then he talks about the early days and the infancy of that ministry and how it took place and what Jesus was really doing. Uh, one of the most amazing things in the early parts of Mark is how often nobody, no person understands who Jesus is. And even his parents and his brothers and sisters struggle to understand what he's up to. But every encounter that Jesus has with the demons they always understand who he is and exactly what he is there to do. Then Jesus turns in, Mark takes the story and shifts on Peter's confession that, Christ, that Jesus is the Christ sent from the Father. Mark turns the story and then begins to start Jesus' journey from Galilee and around the Sea of Galilee, the ministry there, and bring him on the way to Jerusalem, where ultimately Jesus will live out the last week of his life and be crucified. And so from Peter's confession in Mark chapter 8 to right here at the end of Mark chapter 10, the disciples have been following Jesus literally on the way to Jerusalem. And Jesus has warned them several times that going to Jerusalem is going to cost him his life. But it's not just because he goes to Jerusalem that people want to kill him. He's actually going to offer his life as a sacrifice. And not only has he warned them about his life and his subsequent death, but he's also told them on this way, teaching them along the road, the way of discipleship. What does it really mean to follow Jesus? Well, what does it really look like to be a follower? And so Jesus uh, shares with them various things and various teachings. And so they learn. But we get here. After a long journey with Jesus on the road. Living with him. Walking with him. Hearing his teaching. Two of the disciples come. And make stunning requests, don't they? You would think by now, they're at the they're sort of like you know you're you're driving into town, you cross the county line, and then you see the the the, the city limit sign. You know they, they're seeing the city limit sign of Jerusalem. By by this time, from the Sea of Galilee down to Jerusalem, that the disciples would have gotten it right. They've been with Jesus. 
but they still don't understand. And, and I would venture to say, based on the response of the other ten disciples, that everybody was in the same lot as James and John. They weren't upset because they asked Je- that James and John asked Jesus the wrong question. They were upset because they didn't get to Jesus first and ask him for the seats of power. They were like, you guys are trying to undermine us and you guys are trying to get the seats of power. We want the seats of power. So then we get into verses 46 to 52, which are absolutely stunningly fascinating. Where a blind man, a person, not a demon, in the Gospel of Mark, sees everything about Jesus that the disciples can't see. And, and this, these, these verses from 10, 46 to 52 act like a hinge where Jesus leaves Jericho on the way, sees the blind man, heals the blind man, and then makes his way into Jerusalem where he will finish out his life in the last week of his life. All throughout 827, Peter's confession to 1052, Jesus has been teaching the disciples what does it mean to follow him. And then the disciples, represented by James and John, ask for seats of power, demonstrating that they are merely following Jesus closely, but their lives have not been reoriented around the way around Christ's ways. Their their lives haven't been shaped by the kingdom that Jesus is starting. But then Bartimaeus, which literally means the son of Timaeus, a blind beggar on the side of the road actually can see everything about Jesus. He sees better than the disciples see with their sight. And the tension is heightened to the point that it's very hard to miss that we have disciples who've been with Jesus all along and cannot see what the blind man sees as he encounters Jesus and then wants to follow him and does. Now, if you've been following along in the reading plan, in Luke chapter 5 and Luke chapter 6, we see that the Pharisees want to kill Jesus. But the disciples here are acting very differently the disciples want to use Jesus so that he would give them seats of power and they would be basically military leaders like the Gentiles that Jesus warns them about who lord it over others they want these militaristic seats of power in the new kingdom of God so that they can rule with an iron fist as they kick Rome out of Israel They want to be on the cutting edge of removing Rome out of their homeland in 1037. What does it say there? And they said to him, grant us to sit one at your right hand and one at your left hand. These would have been the two most powerful seats in a military coup that would have taken place that actually they longed for. They wanted a fight. They wanted to kick Rome out of Israel. But that wasn't Jesus' plan, was it? And then Bartimaeus, all he asked for in 1047, what does he do? He says it twice. 
Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. He doesn't even ask for his sight first. Isn't that amazing? Every lame person who has come to Jesus in the Gospels comes and makes their ailment known to him that they might be healed. But Bartimaeus is crying out for the mercy of God to befall him. The disciples then are living as though, Christ, as though following Christ has not changed how they are to live and operate in the world. The disciples think that they know the way and that they can be the way. And they even go as far to say, Jesus says, are you able to drink the cup that is set aside for me? They go, oh yeah, Jesus, we can do that. Do they even know what he is saying? Do you realize what Jesus is saying? The cup that is set aside for Jesus is the wrath of God poured out for sinners and sin. And they're saying, we can take that. They had no idea what they were asking for in power and they completely missed the boat in saying that they can drink the same cup that Jesus can drink from. And then in 39 through 40, we see that Jesus is clear with them. He says that you're going to drink. And you're going to be baptized. But you are not the way. You are not the ones who are able to do what I can do. And so what Christ is revealing to them is that although they will befall the same sufferings that, he will, befall, that will befall him, what is accomplished in him can never be accomplished in his followers because we are insufficient sacrifices. Our, the blood spilt by the martyrs is not sufficient to heal their own sins or the sins of others. It is only Christ's blood that is sufficient to heal us from sin. And then what we see is that everything is required in following Jesus. The disciples must give up their way of thinking. They can't think this way. They can't operate this way in the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is upside down. Sometimes this is referred to as the economy of God. The economy of God is completely contrary to the ways of this world. Jesus says, it's the way of the Gentiles that seek power to lord it over other Gentiles. But this is not the way of the kingdom. The way of his kingdom is that you must be servants. You must be a slave to all. Now, who had be a slave to all on their New Year's resolution list. It's not on mine. It's not my goal this year, if I'm being honest, to be a slave to all. Jesus gives, Jesus gives his life. He says, and we'll look at this in just a minute, but Jesus says that he will be a ransom. What does that mean? We'll, we'll look at it. Even, 45, for even the Son of Man came not to serve, but to 
not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. This mission, this drinking of the cup, this way, this trip to Jerusalem will require the life of Christ. The salvation of the people of God require a a human blood sacrifice. And Jesus will be that sacrifice. But then look with me in verse 50. It cost Bartimaeus everything. You know, it's these little details that you, you read and you're like, why do these get put in there? Like, why do we need to know that he jumps up off the ground, throws his cloak off, and comes to Jesus? Well, when you're a blind beggar sitting on the side of the road in first century Israel, likely the two things you have that are your only possessions are your cloak, which you lay across your lap and sit out on the side of the road and you cry out for people to throw money, give alms, give you money so that you can go and buy food because you're a blind beggar. You have nothing, you don't have a job, you have no way of providing for yourself, you've likely been disowned by your family. So when I read this text, and throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. A blind man gives up his only two possessions. The cloak that covered him and kept him warm falls to the ground. And I hear his change purse and change go everywhere as he leaves his former life and runs to Jesus. The money that had been thrown into his coat likely hits the ground. And he comes to the only one who can give him everything he needs. Namely, mercy. And brothers and sisters, we all need mercy. Friends, we all need mercy. And the problem is is that each of us, to varying degrees, struggle with seeing Christ for who He truly is and responding to Him in a way that glorifies Him and glorifies God. We actually ask like the disciples ask. Even when we've been following for years. We We rarely throw everything to the wayside and run to Jesus crying to Him for mercy. For a new year. Grace for breath in our lungs. Treasuring what we already have. Which is Christ. We, we sang that song, all I have is Christ. Is that true of you? You have everything you need in Christ Jesus. And then he's graced us with clothes on our back and roofs over our heads. Food on our tables. Friends who sit beside us in these pews. People who love us. But we are in such a struggle and a battle to respond to God in ways that glorify Him. To respond to our Christ in ways that honor Him. And although we very well may be true followers of Jesus, we so easily fall into the habits of the world and asking things like the disciples do, don't we? But brothers and sisters... If you are a true follower of Jesus, you have been given the Holy Spirit in order that you can 
flee from sin, take off the burden of sin, and come to Christ and think and act and live differently. And for those of you who are listening this morning who do not know Christ, you're not a follower of Jesus, you wouldn't say you're a Christian, I would invite you to see what Bartimaeus sees this morning. He's a sinner in need of mercy from Christ. And Christ is the only one who frees a sinner from the bondage to sin. Jesus sacrifices himself to pay the freedom price to release us from the punishment of our sin that it deserves and to restore our relationship to God. That's what it means to be a ransom. He releases us from the punishment that our sin deserves and restores us back into relationship with God. Christ can truly Christ truly live to obey God's law for us and die so that we would not have to die in our disobedience. Today can be the day of salvation, friends. Today can be the day where Christ is your ransom and your servant that you so desperately need. This is indeed the good news of the gospel. Look with me again at verse 45. For even the Son of Man came not to serve but Not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Now, if you believe the gospel, then the only logical thing is to actually reorient your life around Christ, living for him and his ways. You are not to respond and expect things like the disciples did in Mark 10, 32 or 35 to 44. They wanted Jesus to give them worldly gifts that were not representatives of those who follow Christ in the new kingdom. They were self-serving and power-hungry. Bartimaeus, though, knew that what he needed was mercy. And if Christ was merciful, then maybe, just maybe, if I have the mercy of God upon me, he'll restore my sight. He knew, Bartimaeus knew that he did not deserve the attention and loving kindness of Christ. Of the promised Davidic son who would reign over Israel forever. Who deserves that kind of attention? None of us. It's true that the disciples are bad examples in the story and Bartimaeus is a good example. But brothers and sisters, we have a chief example before us and that is Christ Jesus. He's the one we are to mimic. He's the one that we are to live like. Look again at 1045. Christ comes to serve others. He literally lives and dies for his followers as an act of service to us. I didn't come to be served. I didn't come to sit upon a cush throne that people might just come to me and do whatever I want them to do. No. Christ says, I came to serve. Jesus was doing the will of the Father by giving himself for his people. And those in his people are those who know that they must serve, be served by this king. But what does it even look like to be served? By the king and creator of the universe. 
Christ in His humility and His humiliation came to lowly people like you and me to serve us what we needed. We needed Him to serve us. We needed His condescension to our low stature to the point of death. Even death on a cross that we might have real hope for true living in this world. Christ's life was radically others focused. And then Christ died as a ransom for us. This is where I wanted to share with you. What does it mean to be a ransom? Well, in the Old Testament, God commanded the Israelites to make animal sacrifices as a substitutionary atonement, a payment for their sins and their debt to God for His grace and mercy and the cleansing of their sinfulness. That is that they sacrificed an animal to take the place of their own death a death that was, that was required because of the penalty of sin. And then in Exodus 29-36, it says that each day you must sacrifice a young bull as an offering for the atonement of sin. Each day you kill a bull to atone for your sin. But praise God, we live in the New Testament era where we read Hebrews chapter 9. Once for all time, He, that is Jesus, took into the most holy place, not the blood of goats and calves, but He took His own blood and with it secured our salvation forever. Under the old system, the blood of goats and bulls and ashes of the young cow could cleanse a people's bodies from the ritual defilement. Just think how much more the blood of Christ will purify our hearts from the deeds that lead to death so that we can worship the living God. For by the power of the eternal spirit, Christ offered himself to God as a perfect sacrifice for our sins. Friends, that is good news. That is wonderful and amazing news. That Christ bled and died to atone for our sins that we would not have to. And then listen to Romans 8, 3 and 4. The law of Moses could not save us. Newsflash. If you keep the Old Testament law 100%, your obedience to that law in and of itself cannot save you. Because of our sinful nature. But God put into effect a different plan to save us. He sent His own Son in a human body like ours, except that ours are sinful. Christ was not. And God destroyed sin's control over us by giving us His Son as a sacrifice for our sins. And he did this so that the requirement of the law would be fulfilled, would be fully accomplished for those who no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead follow the Spirit who is now living in us. 
And since Christ has done this on our behalf, behalf of anyone who would believe in Him and repent of their sins, the only logical response is to give our lives back to God as a living sacrifice. This is what Paul calls us to in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Offer yourselves as a living sacrifice back to God. This looks like us reorienting our lives around God and His ways and not the ways of the world. Our Savior died. Can we not also die to ourselves and our, sin, our sinful fleshly desires this year? Or even today? Christ served us by living for us. And He continues to serve us. Do you know that Christ continues to serve us by advocating for us in front of the Father every moment of every day? Christ is working for us. Advocating for us. And He also... uh, And He was others-focused. Can we not also reorient our lives around others rather than making ourselves the center of all of our plans, all of our ambitions, and all of our goals? I would encourage you to go back and revisit the list of resolutions or goals or initiatives that you have and ask this question of those things. Are are these goals set up so that I would die to myself more and more this year as the year progresses? One of, the, one of the greatest ways that we can die to ourselves is getting up and setting out a plan to read God's Word every day for the next year. I want to share with you a story that was extremely encouraging for me as I went home this, this Christmas. I went to see my family, and uh, I, I actually was heard about this secondhand, uh, but I confirmed it, and I asked my stepdad, but my, my lovely wife went and visited my mom and my stepdad, And uh, he shared with her that he had, over the past year, he had read the entire Bible all the way through for the first time. My, My stepdad is 65 years old and has claimed to be a Christian for a large portion of his life, but had never read the Bible all the way through. And he said, this should be required reading for every Christian. And he even now has a favorite book of the Bible, the book of Nehemiah. Or maybe this year you're like, well, Thomas, I don't know if I want to read the entire Bible all the way through. Maybe I want to do some very intentional reading. Maybe study one or two books. I'd encourage you, set aside time to study those one or two books or three books this year. But then also add on to that in a way of fighting against your own fleshly desires. Memorize large chunks of those books. Large portions of Scripture. It's possible. Or maybe you take some time to make some of your goals to kill the besetting sins that you so often struggle with this year. Things that you say to God, God, I wish you would just simply take this away. Have you made goals in your own life to kill that sin? Or... Think about 
how you will actively and regularly serve others this year. Here are just a few ways in which you could serve others this year. Will you share the gospel with a neighbor or a coworker? I would say just once. Or as many times as God would allow to happen. Or how about you give up some time and space in your own home to potentially foster as we partner with DC-127, or maybe even adopt. You could also give food to help meet physical needs right here in the Southwest neighborhood, as we aim to meet physical and spiritual needs right here where we gather every Sunday. Maybe you would even commit two to four hours a month to pray for your neighbors. Just for your neighbors. Those who around you who don't know Christ or who you're not sure of what their eternal destiny is. Or you could take some time to prepare to give a meal to a fellow church member who might be in need. We have several families about to give birth to babies. There will be mothers who are extremely exhausted from birth and there will be husbands who have their sleep patterns all messed up. And they might not get a square meal as often as they did before children. Make a meal. Along with all the babies that will be born, babysit for someone. I know I've been the one. I've got four kids. I've been one of the chief beneficiaries of all the babysitters in the church. But we got more coming. And it will be hard for new mothers to allow their beautiful little babies to be held by others for the first time. But give yourself to maybe babysit someone's kids this year. More than once. Or maybe, maybe you should practice the art of listening better to your brothers and sisters in Christ and practicing the ministry of presence rather than always looking for an opportunity to get in the next word or tell your story. Also, you could do something completely Christ-like in your workplace this year and be co-worker-focused rather than career-focused. How are you serving those who you work with on a regular basis if you have a job? How are you loving the people who you spend time with more than most other people? And I would just simply ask you as we wrap up our time together this morning. Imagine and dream with me for just a moment of how 2021 might be different. In the midst of even COVID recovery, presidential changes. If our lives were reoriented because of Christ serving us and giving himself all for us. How would life look different this year than it has in the previous year? Goals would look different. Co-workers, neighbors, family members, church members may even be blessed beneficiaries of your Christ-likeness rather than your selfishness. Let us live lives this year reoriented around Christ and His ways of loving others and giving of himself, even to the point of dying to ourselves, that others might be the focus of our lives rather than ourselves. Let's go before the Lord in prayer.
Oh God, we love you and we thank you for this day. We thank you, God, for giving us, giving us stories where we see that we can so often be like the disciples rather than like Bartimaeus. But God, we praise you that you don't stop there. You reveal to us what your son has done for us. And that he is the one that we must follow. He is the one that must shape our lives. And God, I pray for everyone here and everyone online, God, that you would be doing a work in us this year to reorient our lives, to rely on Christ and be others focused as we start this year. God, we love you. We thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you that you have given us your son. That the cup of wrath would not befall us as it does your son. That we would be able to hope in him and have eternal life. We praise you, God, because you are praiseworthy and have cared for us and loved us through ransoming your son for us. Praise and honor and glory be unto you, God. Amen.